If I could have all of the BBS kids come up here to center stage. We welcome everybody this morning, um, the uh, VBS children. Operation Overboard will be presenting the um, music this morning, so you're in for a real treat. So grab your coffee and donuts and have a seat. Miss Jessica's going to wrangle all these kids and get them in line, and they will begin with our music for this morning.
morning. Welcome to Operation Overboard. We have had so much fun this week, haven't we? Yeah. Have you had fun this week? Yes. We have had 70 kids here this week at Operation Overboard. We started out each night right here, right over here in Ocho's Cove. And who was Ocho? Ocho was our octopus and our mascot for the week. And each night he told us the ocean insight. Then we went to the underwater passage. And what did you do there? Learned the Bible books. They learned their Bible story at the underwater passage with their teacher for the week. Then they got to rotate to a couple sites. They had snack at the diver's diner. They played games at the high tide hangout. They did crafts at Aquatic Arts. And what else did you do? You sang with Miss Jessica at the Coral Reef. That's right. We also had a mission moment. And I think Ella Kate is going to share about our mission moment. I'm Ella Kate Brandon, and I'm here to share with you our mission project for Vacation Bible School this past week. Did you know around the globe, one in eight people lack access to safe drinking water? More people die from water and sanitation-related disease than from all forms of violence, including war and other diseases like malaria and tuberculosis. A lack of... A lack of adequate water and sanitation facilities keeps children, especially girls, from attending school. Women spend an average of three to five hours each day fetching water. Parents miss work due to water-related illnesses or caring for a sick family member. For a sick family member, fortunately, there is room for hope. The Global Water Challenge brings together leading organizations to address this issue. This week in Vacation Bible School, we learned that people like us can make a difference. In addition to our learning about ways to conserve, conserve water and our, and our environment, we raised over $270 to donate to the Global Water Challenge mission. Today... today <laughs> Today we'd like to ask our church family to extend our efforts and see if we can double our donation. At this time, some of our friends will be collecting any contributions that you would like to make. Thank you. We'll actually wait um, till the end of the service and some of the children will have some um, sand buckets at the back door and if you would like to contribute to this mission that Ella just shared about we would love for you to do that today. Um, a few more things to share with you before we leave um, 
and the kids will also sing one more time at the end of today's service. Um, but we had 30 volunteers each night, um, at least 30 volunteers each night, who helped make this week possible for these children. And I would love for anyone who helped this week in any way to stand really quickly and let the kids and I and the rest of the congregation thank you for your help this week. Would you stand if you helped in any way this week at Operation Overboard? We also worked on one other important thing this week when we were in Ocho's Cove each night. Miss Leanna worked with the kids to help them memorize our scripture. And the kids did a great job at learning this verse. And one of our older elementary kids wants to share that verse with you this morning. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. Hebrews 11.1. good to see everybody today and um, if you are a visitor with us today we hope that we make you feel like you're not that we make you feel uh, very much a part of what's going on here we especially thank you if you brought your child to um, vacation bible school this week and helped us uh, uh, to enjoy a wonderful week with the children and to the children, let me say, if you enjoyed Vacation Bible School, don't forget that later on this summer, I think it's in July, uh, we have music day camp coming up that Miss Jessica will be leading, and you'll be hearing more about that in the, month, in the weeks to come, but that's uh, uh, toward uh, the middle part of the summer and late July that that will be happening. Um, if you have a concern that you would like to share or to have us join, in praying uh, with you about. We invite you to um, uh, share that concern. We have index cards and if you raise your hand, we'll get you a card so you can fill this out. And then when you finish filling it out, if you'll raise it up over your head, our ushers will gather those and um, uh, we will share that with you in prayer, those concerns in a few moments. <clears throat> Wonderful Wednesdays begin this week on Wednesday the 13th. Doesn't sound nearly as ominous as Friday the 13th, does it? Wednesday, June the 13th, preschool and elementary kids are invited to join us for movie day in the social hall from 9 to noon. We'll match, uh, we will watch a classic kids movie, plus have all kinds of other fun games and snacks. Sign up by filling out the form in the church bulletin and dropping in the offering plate or by contacting Katie Jeter. Mark your calendars and save the date. Our third annual Lake Day is set for Sunday, June the 24th, 5 to 8 p.m. at Lake Cunningham. Please plan to join us for this evening of food and fellowship by the lake. Hot dogs, hamburgers, and drinks will be provided. Bring a side dish or a dessert to share. 
One of the um, one of our senior most members of our fellowship has passed away. Um, Miss Alice Olson, who at age 99 had uh, moved back over here from what Kansas was it to live near um, her granddaughter um, Alicia and family Alicia Dittmar and family. Miss Alice was a delight to visit and um, we celebrate her homegoing. Um, she has been talking about it for a long time. And so for her, this was uh, graduation day and the uh, funeral will be back over in Kansas in uh, days to come, but our thoughts and prayers are with the family. I'd go in to see Miss Alice and she'd say, now I know where you're from, but I can't call your name. We'd go through that every time and I'd say, that's okay, you got the right idea. Uh, so, but such a delight. Only time she was not delightful was if you were going down the hall with her and she was in her little motorized uh, wheelchair, you had to be careful you didn't get run down. She, she moved that buggy, I'm telling you. So we, we uh, share with the family the sense of loss. Um, the administrative board will be meeting on Monday night, the 18th at seven o'clock. Uh, over in the social hall. Council of Ministries will be meeting this afternoon. Are there other announcements that we need to, oh yes, the uh, youth are selling tickets to uh, an upcoming fundraiser. It is a meal down at Lorinda's, so you can really suffer as you help with the mission project. You'll suffer from all the good food that you'll eat, that's for sure. So uh, see one of the youth later back at the table, uh, buy a ticket. Uh, Lorinda's is wonderful to work with churches on occasions like this to help raise money for missions. So we appreciate that. Uh, other announcements. Do you have your prayer cards ready? If you'll raise them up, if you haven't had them collected already. Here's one on the front row. Mm. Did y'all hear that some small planes had to be forced down over in California because they were flying over restricted airspace because the president was there? I'm pleased to announce that was not Bill Clute. Let us uh, join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we are so thankful for all these children that you're sending our way. <clears throat> Thank you that we can have a small part in helping parents form Christian character in these children. <clears throat> We're grateful for the opportunity to teach children about the love of God and the presence of Jesus in their lives as they, as they learn more about scripture. And we pray your continued blessings upon them and especially upon those who work so diligently with them. And Lord, these are special prayers for this day. We pray for troops in harm's way and their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for a mother's healing and we pray that you would keep that mother close to you. We pray for Rick Sawyer who is recovering from surgery. We pray for Nancy Kiefer to rest comfortably and her family to feel peace. 
We pray for healing for Kevin Enners. We pray for the South Carolina United Methodist Conference that begins this afternoon and tonight and continues through Wednesday. We pray for Amy Copeland, Evan Bigby, Toby Wright, and the youth mission team. <clears throat> we pray for a friend's daughter who is having open heart surgery on Wednesday down in Charleston. Lord, these are our prayers, and we join our hearts together as we present these concerns to you and pray that your healing touch would abide upon all of these situations. For we pray in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> there are three passages from the book of Romans that I'll be sharing this morning with you for background for the sermon. Uh, passage in Romans 3 and another one from Romans 5 and a third from Romans 8. <clears throat> but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Getting close. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
I have decided to indulge myself with just three sermons left to inflict upon you. I've decided to repeat a couple of sermons that date back to my first year here with you. June didn't remember it, and so if June doesn't remember it and she uh, prints all my sermons, I doubt you remember it either. But it's a fun sermon I'm indulging myself with. And it draws heavily upon a lecture I heard at Lutheran Seminary when I was there 35 years ago from a great, great teacher named John Benjamin Biedenball, who taught me a great, great deal about the Christian faith. Many years ago, before he became uh, Matlock or Andy Taylor, Andy Griffith was a stand-up comic who uh, began his career that way, telling stories as if he were a hick from so, bar, so far back up in the hills that he didn't know anything much about modern society. He gave us many great lines, such as, Romeo done broke out in a soliloquy right there on the spot. But his classic story, in my opinion, was when he tried to describe a sporting event that he'd never witnessed before. And you really ought to listen to this whole thing on the internet sometimes. You can find it there. He was trying to explain it, and so he had to draw on ideas that he already knew something about. He didn't know about the sport. At the end, he says what it was was football. He said he followed this big old crowd of people through a gate down to this big old cow pasture. And down in that pasture, he saw some convicts wearing striped shirts and blowing their whistles. He says there were two bunches full, that's a good word, bunches full of men running around that cow pasture. Both bunches full wanted this funny looking little pumpkin. And he says, I know friends that they couldn't have eaten it cause they kicked it all evening and it never did bust. He says, I don't know friends to this day what it was they were doing down there, but I've studied about it. I think it was some kindly of a contest where they see which bunch full of them men can take that pumpkin and run from one end of that cow pasture to the other without getting knocked down or stepping in something. Well, what it was was football, he said, and what it was was a cross, a death, and an empty tomb. What it was was God's provision for our forgiveness and salvation of the world. What it was was a resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus. But how do you begin to describe something like that to people of many different backgrounds? What terms can you use to try to say it's like this is what has happened? What metaphors, therefore, can you use? What stories and symbols would be helpful? Were there other human institutions around uh, in existence in those days that might help some people understand the good news. Now over time the church assembled a great number of, um, of different symbols to help us to explain what it was. Like communion and like baptism and like butterflies. Paul used five different institutions in the book of Romans to explain what it was. Five metaphors that came from five different institutions 
And you really need to understand that to realize why he grabbed these words that he grabbed. Now, in doing so, Paul was not saying that these symbols completely are to be swallowed. You know, it's not that, that you have to believe these certain ways. It's that this will help us to understand what it was about that empty tomb. He's not saying we always have to take everything literally, just grab hold of an idea. You know, if we're not careful, our figures of speech can get us into big trouble, especially with children. I have it on good authority that when Joan Wallace <clears throat> was a very little girl, the preacher came home to eat dinner with her. This is a true story, right? She was a little girl, and the preacher was eating, and she wasn't eating. She was just staring at the preacher. Finally, her mother said, Joan, eat your lunch. And Joan said, I don't know what you're talking about, Mama. He doesn't eat like a pig. She's always been so honest. <clears throat> the first institution that Paul drew upon that everybody would have known about, or at least his Jewish uh, readers would know about, was the temple itself. For in the temple, priests regularly make animal sacrifices to cover over our sins. And that word cover is a very interesting word. It is translated in scripture as propitiation or expiation or atonement. And whenever you see those words in the Bible, you need to realize that those words come from the temple where sins were covered up, covered over by sacrifice. Just as the, the priest made sacrifices to cover up sin, so did God offer Jesus as a sacrifice to cover our sins, Paul said. Paul says of Christ that God presented him as a sacrifice of covering, of atonement. Is there anything more human than our desire to hide our faces when we've made some kind of a social faux pas or a big mistake? Criminals hide their faces from the TV cameras always. I turn red as can be. I, people think I can't be embarrassed. Watch me. I can very easily be embarrassed which scares me because Rochelle keeps talking about, Arthur, can you be embarrassed? <clears throat> but anyway, um, when my little nephew, uh, Jeff, was a little boy, he would uh, make some kind of a goof, and then he would stand up and look at all of us and say, do not look at me. Um, we want to hide our faces. The psalmist said, God, hide your face from me. The temple rituals were all designed to cover a person's moral nakedness by the blood of sacrifice. Paul said that in the same way, Jesus died to provide that covering of our sins. Now, I want you to remember always that it was, God, it was not God's anger that got covered. It was our incompleteness, our sin. God didn't need to have his attitude covered or changed in any way. He loved us. He's the one that gave us the covering to cover ourselves. And so the covering of the temple and the covering of Jesus over us is to cover our shortcomings, not God's anger. How wonderful that is. A second set of symbols came from the law court, um, an institution that we're all somewhat familiar with from TV dramas. 
Um, by the way, I read recently about a wife who was seeking a divorce, and she went before the judge and said, <clears throat> I'm suing for divorce on the, part, on, the, on the reason that my husband's appearance. And the judge says, what's wrong with his appearance? She said, well, he hadn't appeared in two years. In the courts, a defendant is presumed innocent in our country until proven guilty. But in the ancient world, you had to prove you were innocent. You were presumed to be guilty. In the ancient courts of law, there was a judge who would decide your case. You could argue your own case or you could have a lawyer to take up your side for you, an advocate. Paul looked at that and said, you know what it was, was something like that. It was something like a court of law. We stand before God who is our judge, but we have a great defender. We have a great advocate named Jesus. Christ, our advocate, has given his life for us and thereby won the case. Accordingly, God the judge has pronounced us innocent, righteous, which is another word from the court of law, meaning in right relationship with the law. Whenever you see those words in the Bible, justified, righteous, innocent, and vindicated, your mind needs to go to the courthouse because that's where those ideas came from. How might we explain salvation? It is like we were on trial for our trespasses, but because of the hard work of our advocate Christ, the judge has declared us innocent. A third institution used to explain salvation was war. In war, uh, two sides are in battle against one another and they are enemies. For peaceful relations between those two sides to return, one of two things must happen. Somebody must win or else they sit down and talk about it and sue for peace. When the two sides agree on peace, it's known as reconciliation. So whenever you see those words used in the New Testament by Paul and others, reconciled or reconciliation, images of war and peace need to come to your mind. Salvation is like that, says Paul. It's like you and I were one time estranged from God and we were enemies of God, but now we are friends. We are at peace with God. And in this process for peace, God is the one that took the first step toward us. We were too weak to sue for peace. But Jesus came in the form of a baby in, in the manger, and that was God stepping toward us, taking the first step in our direction, saying through the angels that his desire was for peace on earth and goodwill with his children. Through his death, Christ secured peace between us and God, and we are now friends. A fourth institution that provided a point of reference for the Christian message was the terrible institution of slavery. That's the slave market down in uh, Charleston. Perhaps one day we will eliminate slavery from our planet. We haven't yet. In ancient times, a man might have to sell himself or his family <clears throat> to pay a debt and become a slave. Others were made slaves through military conquest. If your country lost the war, 
you could be enslaved. Freedom could be purchased if you earned enough money to buy it, but that was always very, very difficult. But your freedom could be purchased for you if someone paid your debt and bought your freedom. That payment was known as a redemption. So Bible students, whenever you see that word redemption, redeemed or redeemer, you need to realize that that was a word that was most often used in the slave market where slaves were bought and sold unless someone came forward to redeem you. Paul latched on to that metaphor as a way of explaining what God had done for us in Christ. You and I were once in slavery. We were slaves of sin, he said. We were totally owned by sin and under its domination. Since, Sears, uh, since sin's pay is death, we were slaves sold into death and eternal separation from God. We could not earn enough to buy our freedom. Therefore, God bought it for us through Jesus Christ. His death bought our freedom, and now we belong to another master, Almighty God. There's another interesting fact that you should know about that word, which is translated redeemer. It has another meaning, and that other meaning is next of kin. This is because most of the times when a slave was freed, they were liberated from their slavery by a father or a brother, their next of kin. So whenever we refer to Jesus as our redeemer, we are claiming that Jesus is our next of kin, which is an amazing thing. He is our elder brother, as Paul called him. How might we understand salvation it is like we once upon a time were slaves, but through the death of Christ, we've been redeemed from that bondage. We are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came in Christ Jesus. The final metaphor of salvation comes from the institution of the family. And the key word here is adoption. Through adoption, someone who is outside the family is declared to be legally a part of that family and is therefore due all the respect and eventually the inheritance of everyone else who is a child of that home. <clears throat> I think it was at this point uh, some years ago in the story that I told you that wonderful story about how from the little rascals, buckwheat had been adopted by this Islamic family and they were changing his name from Buckwheat to Kareem De Wheat. That's about what y'all did last time. <clears throat> when a person is adopted, it isn't because of his own worthiness or her own worthiness and goodness. It's because the parents choose to adopt the child unconditionally. The nation of Israel was adopted by God in the first place not because they deserved it, but because he chose them to be adopted. Paul says this is what our salvation is like. We once upon a time were left out of the family of God, but now we are in God's family because of Christ Jesus. We are adopted children, not begotten like Jesus was, 
But nevertheless, we share the same inheritance that Jesus gets from the Father. We are joint heirs with, the, with Christ to the Father. And there are always witnesses to an adoption. In our case, being adopted by God, God's spirit and our human spirit together agree that we are God's children. So what is salvation like? Remember the temple. It is like a covering of our sins by God. Remember a court of law. We have been declared justified, righteous, and innocent. Remember war and peace. We have been reconciled and are no longer God's enemies. It is like slavery. We have been redeemed from the ownership of sin. It's like being adopted. We're adopted into the family of God. What it was was an empty tomb a cross, a resurrection. How great is our salvation. Amen. I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated and let us worship God as we receive our morning offering. Lord, I am calling your name, and 
children would come up for the last song.
Would you please stand for the benediction? <clears throat> now may the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.